FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 481 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked, I'm your host, Jason. Ouch! Venable. <laughs> and it's a flashback episode. That's right, we're going to continue into the bone zone of Wolverine's time with no adamantium. This will be the broken bone zone. Some pretty brutal stuff that happens in his issues. And my sincerest apologies to both the listeners and to Mr. John Wilson. I would have preferred to schedule some time to have him on these issues like we have on the Wolverine solo title for a, a good chunk. Right, he hasn't done all of the issues, but he's done a bunch of them from the first 78. And I would have, this is definitely a story with the return of a, a character I would like to have had him on for. And, and nothing him, I didn't even ask because I'm just too, my schedule's too messed up right now. Uh, I will get him back on though very soon, as soon as possible. Um, because I think particularly the issues after the ones we'll cover this time have, have to do with uh, Klein Yashida, and I definitely want him to be along for that ride, if at all possible. I may even, well, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, so yeah, so, but, John does have a new podcast, a new Superman podcast, called Superman in Crisis, so definitely go check that out. And while you're doing that, um, another Superman podcast by friend of the show, Grant, um, is, of course, the... Uh, Truth, Justice, and Hope podcast, so you want to check that out as well. And while I'm plugging friends, because that's what I like to do, I like to plug my friends, um, <laughs> go check out Excalibros, of course, and House of X. Excalibros uh, is a lovely show, and they're on a lot, and I'm overdue having them on as well. Um, and my, just not being in my house has really kind of messed things up. <laughs> and don't worry, nothing's going on with it. It's not like a, oh marital problems or anything our marriage is great um as we're re- in case you haven't heard or have missed it or forgot uh, we're doing a very very extensive remodel at the house and got basically got kicked out of our own house um so we, we've been in a rental almost since the beginning of the year and with all just general covid supply chain issues as well just getting and having trouble finding people come and do the work and i as a lot of industries are seeing some work shortages um so stuff just kind of keeps getting protracted on the schedule and obviously no fun and is definitely interfering with my playtime um (laughs) as far as trying to build a podcast in fact this one episode you're going to hear was recorded in several segments often really late at night um or you, you know even in the middle of the night just where i can find time with no one else yelling <laughs> so and that won't mean the same for every episode sometimes i'll have to do it excuse me during the day and you're going to hear some yelling and i apologize my kids are my kids my dog is my dog they're all very very lovely but they're not the quietest people in the world nor should they be um you know kids are going to be kids they're going to be loud and playful and boisterous and that's what's going to happen so yeah so anyway that's that's why i have not had had John on for this one or didn't you really try to schedule it because I just 
like I said, it's not really conducive to say, hey, buddy, why don't you come record with me four different times at <laughs> one in the morning, because that'll be fun, and that's really, you know, appropriate for me to request that, but, um, there you go, so, anyway, as I was saying, I'm overdue to have the Excaliburs on, because I need to, I need to schedule some time with them, and then, of course, I was recently on House of X, uh, covering the debut of Ten Lives of Wolverine, and, of course, we're here on the podcast against Nick in the middle of our weekly coverage of the Ten De- Lives and Ten Deaths of Wolverine, which has been a lot of fun so far, but that's not the focus of today. The focus of today is... Wolverine getting his bone claws broken. Yikes. Ouch. Mm, that hurts. And we'll cover, we'll catch up with a little bit of Gambus Gumbo as well. So, let's, uh, let's get into it, shall we? Alright. Here we go. So we're going to start off with Wolverine number 79. And this one is, of course, written by Larry Hammer. Pencils by Adam Kubert. Mark Farmer and Mike Sellers do the inks. Pat Brousseau does the letters. Steve Buccioletto does the colors. And of course, edited by Bob Harris and Tom DeFalco. This is Cyber Cyber Burning Bright. Our cover is by Kubert. And it's a... So they like extend the logo. Like vertically. So the logo takes up like a good two-thirds on the top of the book. And it's a yellow, the yellow classic Wolverine logo, but just really stretched out. And then the background is like purple that fades into yellow. And then kneeling in front of the logo is a, I think he's howling in pain, but it's a very mad looking Wolverine kneeling before the logo, claws out, one arm grasping the other, and one hand and actually, probably the claws are too long <laughs> on the left hand. But on the right hand, his claws are broken just past the fingers. And then you have three really, really long claw fragments laying in blood in front of Wolverine. Um, other than the fact that the claws are just way too long, even by exaggerated 90 standards, you kind of take that out of the equation. I think that's more done for effect to show the difference between the claws and the the brokenness. All that aside, though, it's a pretty awesome cover. It really, really is. Um, it's it's nice. It looks good. I mean, Adam Kubert is I mean, he's a Wolverine icon. I would say, you know, even by this point, was already kind of cementing himself as such. But definitely, in hindsight, is definitely. <laughs> I mean, he's he's on this book forever. But um, yeah. All right. So, in this one, uh, still on his post-adamantium journey of self-discovery, Logan tries to cash a check in Scotland, but is apprehended. Apparently, a Logan had already been to the bank and robbed it. And Agent Zoe is on the case. She knows that this was Cyber who robbed the bank, but doubts Logan's identity as her scans show no adamantium. So, she, even though the police thought, okay, someone named... Someone identified with a Logan ID, came to the bank, started to withdraw, and then robbed it, including breaking open the safe, in a, which would require, you know, superhuman feet and possibly adamantium. Now, Agent Zoe comes in, and she knows that it was Cyber, because she saw the video, and was like, that's not Logan, that's Cyber. 
But when she meets Logan, she scans him, and there's no adamantium, so she doesn't believe it's really him. So she, she knows Logan didn't rob the bank, but also thinks that Logan himself is an imposter. So anyway, she's on the case. Um, with a shot, Logan pops a bone claw as ID. Agent Z takes Logan upstairs to the offices of Landau, Lockman, and Lake for one more test. She attacks him and asks about her mentor, mentor, sorry, uh, Chang Chow, who, no, Chang, sorry, just Chang. My parentheses got messed up. <laughs> My notes here. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, so she, so she takes him upstairs and asks about, she attacks him, asks about her mentor, Chang, who died in Madripoor by Bloodstream way back in issue number five. Um, Wolverine fends her off with his Yashida Honor sword, honor sword and Cyber bust in. Wolverine and Cyber tussle and jaw at each other while Agent Z checks out the sword. When Wolverine finally pops his claws, Cyber is disappointed by the bone. Logan gets some good cuts in until Cyber pins him down and stomps on his right claws, splintering them. Ouch! Um, analyzing the vampire blood on the sword, remember just recently he decapitated Bloodscream. Um, Agent Z is both satisfied that Logan is who he claims and innocent in Chang's death. So, she drops a filing cabinet on Cyber, grabs a sword, and grabs Logan to jump into her race car. Logan requests transport to Muir Island, and that's where we're going to stop for this issue. Um, this is really good. You know, I wasn't really excited originally to see Cyber's return. I, you know, when we talked about him in Marvel Comics Presents, there were some interesting parts that John and I both liked. Definitely the Sam Keith art was pretty rad, but I don't know if he was really all that great of a villain. But here he is, and uh, it actually worked pretty well. I really like kind of the Looney Tunes bit, um, you know, particularly with, uh, with Agent Zoe dropping the safe on to cyber and it comes out <laughs> it says file file under C <laughs> so it's kind of a funny joke there as um you know that happens um so yeah but you know we uh I like where Ham is going with this overall it's it's pretty fun it's continuing the journey of Wolverine post adamantium um, the art is fantastic throughout the claw stopping scene is particularly brutal like it's just I'm looking at it again and man and um so it's a, it, you have to turn the book sideways and you know Wolverine's been resisting popping his claws because it kind of hurts when he does it now and you know he finally does it and Cyber grabs it and he's like I don't I don't like this um he goes, beauty's only skin deep, but ugly goes clean to the bone. Speaking of which, and he, he steps on Logan's arm with one foot and then crunches the claws with the other, and it is just, that bone is all over. It is ripped up. So, the art's pretty fantastic all the way throughout. Um, Ancient Zoe's design is kind of classic 90s images started <laughs> design that we've seen in a lot of heroes. She's got lots of pouches. She's got a green jacket that is unzipped all the way down to the belt so you can see her no she doesn't have bear cleavage she has a, a unitard or a, a bodysuit on underneath but 
definitely kind of the 90s, um, like Ballistic from Cyber Force, that kind of stuff. Which, by the way, speaking of John, if you want to go as on hiatus, but all the pouches is a wonderful podcast that covers the launching of in Image Comics. So definitely go check that out and hear him talk about Cyber Force. But, um, yeah, yeah, Agent Zoe looks like she could be in Cyber Force. She has a metal visor that allows her to scan and do all her, all her tech stuff. But, yeah, not a bad design. The red and green is kind of Christmassy, but it's not too bad overall. And then, um, and the part where Wolverine pops his claw as identification says, is me, um, with the shuck. And you see the one bone claw, and it's got blood dripping all the way down it. Like, you can tell he's really hesitant to have to do this. Um, I love the cyber, like, uh, Ninja Turtle slash Ben Grimm disguise, where he's just in a giant trench coat and a wide-brimmed hat. <laughs> and that's kind of how he tries to get around um, incognito. And, you know, it doesn't really totally work, but it is fun. Um, yeah, so then, of course, we, we get to pull out the uh, Clan Yashida sword. Um, there's lots of files in the uh, lawyer office, the Landau, Lockman, and Luckman and Lake, sorry. Um, and lots of weapons, but lots of files uh, from Wolverine, Project X, Weapon X, Logan, Patch, uh, newspaper clippings. There's a the computer's open to the Logan database. There's a picture of of Logan and Chang. I mean, you know these these guys have helped Wolverine quite a bit in the past, but his kind of official law representatives, and they have they have all the goods on his career. But you know what? I mean, yeah, the fight is fun. There's a lot of banter between Wolverine and Cybers. They kind of go back and forth, kind of trying to out-macho each other, but it it works pretty well. Hammond does a pretty good job of kind of letting them be tough guys without being just overly gritty, which is nice. So it's kind of, you know, it plays more fun and funny with the side of tough guy versus, you know, like some, some of the... So some of this that you see in other books at the same time, you see kind of the same type of dialogue, same type of posturing, but it just feels very humorless. Like, no self-awareness, just very, very serious, and I don't like that as much. But, uh, Hammer Time's version of, of kind of the male uh, macho posturing, I don't know, it just it feels fun to me. Because you don't... It's not portrayed as like everyone should act like this or this is the archetypical hero it's kind of like these guys are just brawling and you know jawing at each other and you know almost like like brothers <laughs> right when you fight with your brother but yeah man I'm gonna I'm gonna give Wolverine number 79 there's not a whole lot to say I mean we see like files and stuff and we don't really get like any new information um, it's pretty much just kind of a, a Wolverine on his journey and you know, kind of what? Well, what can we do now that he doesn't have adamantium? Well, he, his bones can break. What would happen if we break his claws? Like, it's just it's a it's a brutal, brutal scene and a brutal part of the story. And definitely excited to see what happens next in the coming issues. So I'm going to give Wolverine number seventy nine six out of six claws. I will say, so I don't always. I don't think I hardly ever talk about the letters. I don't even always read them. But one caught my eye in this issue. And it's from uh, Olaf Beamer in the Netherlands. And they talk about the contrast of Logan to the rest of 90s comics where heroes are being beefed up 
more powerful or replaced. And we, we've seen that a lot. Uh, Batman replaced by Osriel. Um, you know, Thor replaced, you know, has, has Thunderstrike. Um, you know, Iron Man and War Machine. Um, you know, Punisher getting kind of stronger or at least drawn more, you know, must, you know, big and hulking. Um, you know, we've had not, not too far removed from, you know, Captain America as John Walker. And, but now we have officially, you know, I've had U.S. agent in the last couple of years. So a lot, now that's necessarily bad, but there's, that's the, that has been the trend through the early nineties is to kind of make everyone either updated or upgraded, um, and at the same time that's going on, Logan's kind of doing the opposite, where he's getting downgraded. He's less powerful. He's struggling with his healing factor. He's losing his adamantium. Hell, and this issue is claws break. And the, the letter writer did not know that when he wrote the letter. But, I mean, it's just it's an interesting comment about how Wolverine's trajectory seems to be opposite of kind of the rest of the industry in 1994. I think it's a very insightful letter and I really love that about what the Wolverine book is doing because I am you know reading a lot of other 90s Marvel along with this and yeah I mean some of them work really well some of them don't um you know <laughs> Ghost Rider turning into a vengeance or whatever that is I did not like that you know um parts of War Machine are okay um you know I like James Rhodes, who ended up being a cool character. I, the the writing on early War Machine, I don't know if it really holds up. For those of you that really like it, I'd be interested if you still <laughs> enjoy it. But um, yeah, you know um, you know all that to say is I think it's a really interesting point, right? You, the trend and the trajectory of heroes right now is to make them more badass, more gritty. Stronger, more 90s, more tougher, more violent, more, really just more everything. I mean, to to nab the title of, of what Liefeld is doing over at Image with Extreme Studios, everything's just kind of more extreme with an X and a hyphen. And, and that doesn't just apply to X-Men. <laughs> and so, while all that is going on pretty much across the board... Yeah, Wolverine over here just kind of quietly going the other direction. And Larry Hama doing something very, very different. Kind of cross-purposes to what the rest of comic books are doing at the time. Now, I'm not going to say it's completely unique because I haven't read everything from 1994. There may be some other books that are kind of playing with these themes in a different way as well. I just thought it was a cool letter, a cool insight. And I really, really like... Um, you know, just what what Larry Hama is trying to do there. And I know I go back and forth between Hama and Hama. Uh, I just do. I The Texan comes out, the white guy comes out, and then I try to say it a little more accurate, and then the Texan comes back. <laughs> so I apologize. Um, but yeah, um, you know, there, there's a lot of other letters in here about, why'd you take the adamantium away? Um, but I really thought that was a uh, cool letter. So, Olaf Beamer... Hope all is well with you out there in the world. And uh, we're going to move on to Wolverine number 80. So, with that in mind, Wolverine number... Uh-oh. Uh, I 
My notebook hit my computer. I don't want to do that. I want to stop recording accidentally. Alright, so Wolverine number 80 in the clutches of cyber is written by Larry Hama, pencils by Ian Churchill, inks by Al Milgram, letters by Pat Brousseau, colors by Kevin Summers, and then Harrison DeFalco, of course, editing. Our cover is by Churchill, and it's not a bad one. Uh, we're starting to get a little closer to, I guess, classic Churchill. It's still a little sketchy and a little finer on the inks than what you might be used to. But it's, it's, it's a pretty good cover. It has a, a close-up of Wolverine and Cyber embracing in a violent hug. <laughs> and there you go. Uh, Cyber has his hand around Wolverine's neck. Wolverine's trying to punch Cyber, but he's smiling. Um, yeah, it's, it's not too bad. Alright, so in Canada, Bloodscream's body is missing, and we see him feed on a traveling couple. So, you know, the old adage, you can just decapitate a vampire to solve that problem, apparently does not work on Bloodscream. So in transport to a hospital, Cyber also wakes up, butchers the medical staff, and takes the ambulance to follow Agent Z and Logan. En route to the ferry to Muir Island, Agent Z tries to show a video from Dr. Jaime Munoz, who wants to use adamantium to help strengthen bones as part of osteopedic research. Really interesting idea. Um, he talks about how he found some records and samples that indicate adamantium bonding is possible with certain mutations. And he shows an example of a test tube of genetic material, Logan X number 23. And yes... That name means exactly what you think it does. This is the first appearance of X-23's genetic material. So, there you go. It's in a test tube, and there it is. So, the beginnings. And no, I don't think, I mean, I don't know. I, I think the idea is Hammond probably had no idea that, he, that that was going to be the course taken. Because if he did want to do something with that, he had a long time to do it and didn't <laughs> before he eventually leaves the book. So I think just someone reading back issues is like, hey, what happened to that old test tube? What can we do with that? Oh, let's make Laura. All right, awesome. X-23, there you go. But anyway, yeah, so we see we see the test tube of genetic material. Um, unfortunately, Cyber catches up to the race car in his ambulance. Uh, you can argue he makes up some time when Zoe and Logan stop to have drinks. But, I mean, they're driving that car pretty good, and and Cyber, while pushing the ambulance, I mean, I don't know. The, the, <laughs> you know, if an ambulance leaves the station at <laughs> X time, and, and the race car leaves at this time, but they stop to get a couple of beers, you know, what time will they meet? Well, it's in issue number 80 of Wolverine. Um, Alright, so there's your math problem of the day. So, um... Obviously, he attacks and interrupts the video, but it keeps playing so we, the reader, can see it. Uh, Cyber pulls Logan into the ambulance, and they fight until Logan pulls the gas can and a road flare from the race car and sets Cyber on fire. Logan jumps back into the race car as Agent Z fast and furiouses a jump into the departing Muir Island ferry. So the ferry is left. They were late. But Agent Z race car stunt drives off of the dock and lands in the ferry as it takes off. 
Um, so back to the video, there's some science stuff about mutagenic blood interacting with adamantium, changing it so it bonds easier. And Larry's, Larry's going to do something with that. Um, we'll find out kind of exactly why the healing factor is behaving differently and stuff like that without the adamantium. And, you know, extra spoilers. I know we're, this is all spoilery because it's flashback. Flashback! But, um, you know, we'll find out that the adamantium allowed his mutation to change in a way that kept him from mutating in a certain way. And I guess I'll leave that there for now in case you haven't read these yet. Um, we'll find out kind of what happens to Wolverine with without the adamantium. And while it may not make sense to just say, well, yes, that would happen, Mary Hama is planting the seeds now for why that is possible and why it could happen. So whether you like it, love it, hate it, um, at least, you know, we're getting some good story foundation for what's going to happen here in the in the near future. All right. Um, so the doctor, Dr. Jaime, also asked for the mutant volunteers from the previous study to come in and help with research, especially Logan X. He says it will be mutual as there may be side effects of adamantium bonding as well. Specifically for some genetic issues seen in the Logan X23 sample. So, yeah, definite foreshadowing there. Now, I don't remember what happens when Dr. Jaime Munoz. I don't remember if he really has, like, what else happens to him at all. I mean, I'll, I'm completely in the dark. These issues are new to me. Um, you know, we've reached that point. Where I was, I was not reading at this point in time. In '94, I was driving around and trying to be cool, <laughs> unsuccessfully, but trying nonetheless. Um, and so, um, yeah. So I don't remember how much more he does. I don't, and it's hard to tell if he is in cahoots with like leftover Weapon X Department H Department K stuff, or if he just genuinely found this and is, is sincerely wanting to do the research and just wanting to help the mutants and offering to bring them in in a very sincere and genuine effort. You know, I'm not sure. Whether it's all a trick to get them to come in and be like, oh, we got you back. Um, you know, I don't remember how that plays out. So I'll be definitely curious to watch for that as the story continues. Um, you know, it's... Um, Definitely a transition chapter with some hints and scenes thrown in. As far as the story goes, the art is okay. Uh, Churchill is still finding his style. Um, there's some parts in here that look pretty good. There's some parts that look kind of not very good. Um, I think all that in mind, I would give the whole comic about four out of six claws. I mean, Really, the biggest thing that happens here is we set up, we kind of have a middle kind of break in the fight between Cyber and Wolverine. We set up that changes that are coming because he lost his adamantium. So not just that his healing factor is working over time and that his, his, he has bone claws that can break, but that the adamantium changed his mutation in his blood. And so without it, we're going to see some other changes. 
don't know what they are yet. I mean, I do, but as readers of the time, we wouldn't know what they are yet. And we, I think it's pretty obvious that something is coming. And then, of course, um, the X-23 test tube is pretty exciting, even though it'll be a long, long time before that turns into anything at all. And it's kind of cool to see it. Um, I, you know, I'd always heard, yeah, and there's an old Wolverine issue where we see the test tube that is X-23's origin, but I never actually read it. So it's cool to read that. I think overall, I'm going to give uh, Wolverine number 84 out of 6 claws. So we're going to move on then to number 81. And 81, I believe, has. We're back to the same team as 79. I know Kubert's back. Um. Yeah, Sellers and Farmer are also back. Oh, Marine Javis does the colors on this one. That's a little bit different from 79. Uh, this is Storm Warning. On the cover, we have Cyber busting through a wall, grabbing or slicing a Wolverine up top, and then Nightcrawler is on Cyber's back, pulling at his face from behind, and then Grimace. It's a pretty cool cover. Um... So one thing we noticed off the bat on this cover that we have not seen yet, and if anything, I kind of wish we would have not seen it until the inside, but Wolverine's claws on his right hand that were broken, that Cyber smashed, are healing, and they're not healing quite right. And at least right now, this initial healing phase, um, we get a good look at Logan's corkscrew bone claws. So the way they're healing and growing back out from the fracture point is really like a corkscrew-type uh, structure in the bone. So that's an interesting kind of thing that we see there. Um, all right, so apparently while uh, scuffling with Cyber, uh, Wolverine got scratched up and dosed with nasty cocktail of poisons and hallucin hallucinogenics. So he arrives at Muir Island with rabies and stark raving mad lashing out at Kenny, Kurt, and Moira. We see the bone claws on Wolverine's right hand have grown all mangled. Um, Excalibur doesn't trust the unknown Agent Z, especially when she pulls out a gun, so Kenny subdues her while Kurt and Moira try to restrain and sedate Logan, who hallucinates he's fighting a bunch of Magnetos. Uh, turns out uh, Z's gun was just a wire restraint gun after all. You know, the classic wire restraint gun. Um, our two new Scottish agents who, I didn't mention them, we did meet them in, in issue 80. Um, they fish an empty ambulance out of the water, and Cyber, you know, he's been murdering people left and right, uh, murders a fancy couple and steals their boat. Um, in the Muir Isle lab, Moira and Kurt are trying to purge the poisons and chemicals from a restrained wolverine. He also begins to devolve slightly into a more feral form. Not a lot yet, but we're, we're seeing that path. Uh, Moira hypothesizes, my goodness, um, it may be related to the shock of losing his adamantium and healing factor. And then Cyber crushes, crashes his boat into Muir Isle as he descends further into madness. Um, back in the lab, Wolverine breaks his restraints and Moira prepares a neutralization module, which is basically a holding cell for mutants. Um, Cyber cuts power to the island, which frees an increasingly feral wolverine. 
Wolverine, still seeing Magneto, slashes at Kitty, but she phases out just in time. As he, um... As he cuts through her ghost, the vision of Magneto turns into Mariko, Jean, Silver Fox, and Jubilee in succession. Um, finally, Kitty. He sees Kitty for who she is. This snaps Wolverine out of it, just in time for Cyber to bust in. They, f- they fight, of course. Cyber pins Wolverine again, but this time Kitty phases him and drags him into the... Con- phases, sorry, phases Wolverine. Let's get my pronouns right. He phases Wolverine and drags him into the uh, containment cell as backup power kicks in. Cyber follows and Agent Z slams the door as Kitty phases Wolverine and herself out just in time, leaving Cyber trapped in. Woo! All right. And so... The art is really, really great. Um, Javin's colors are a little flat, so I'm missing the Buccioletto colors in the issue a little bit, but the art's still really good. Um, the story's really fun. Uh, we start off with a close-up of Wolverine's face. He's, he's literally foaming at the mouth. Um, as he's trying to fight through his friends. Um, he's just going nuts here on the dock. Um, you know... And the fun part with the with the gun you know, being just a, a, a wire containment gun. It's funny. Um, you know, and our, our couple, you know, Cyber's just on a murderous rampage, still in vehicles, uh, doing what Cyber does. And, you know, they're trying to figure out what's going on with Wolverine in the lab. You know, the whole idea of, like, um, the power going out so he gets loose, but then the power gets turned back on in time to fight Cyber is pretty cool. It was a really cool like sideways double splash page when Wolverine jumps out of the containment center and he's raving mad. And his hair has just gotten like a lion's mane. I get so wild and the light is shining on it. And almost like a silvery fashion, his face has become just hair more elongated and wolf-like. His fingernails are coming out. Not as bad as Sabretooth, but he's definitely growing some fingernails. Um, yeah, just definitely turning into more of a man monster. And that is, that is what we are seeing kind of take place before our eyes as we move through this issue. Um, there's a really cool, uh, do- another sideways double-page splash that has panels on it, but at the top, you have Wolverine and Cyber close-up of their faces facing off. It looks really good. Um, yeah, just a really cool story. Um... Again, I mean, the main kind of gist of what we're seeing here as far as it applies to Wolverine is just kind of this devolution, right? The de-evolution of Wolverine into a more feral, animalistic state, not only mentally, but physically. His mutation is changing. And, you know, we, we had the last issue where they talked about how the adamantium could have adjusted or tweaked the original mutation, and now when that's gone, I think, I think the idea is that this is what Wolverine would have mutated into had he not had the adamantium in place. Now, that becomes problematic in one sense in that... Man, it's hard to... It's hard to say, right? Because at this point... So, all right... So originally the concept, Wolverine, the claws were implanted 
as part of Weapon X, right? There were no bone claws. They were an addition. The animated claws were an addition. So his mutation was just his heightened senses, his healing factor, stuff like that, right? The more, the more kind of animal features that he had. Now, with Wolverine 75 and X-Men 25, and the revelation when uh, Magneto strips away the adamantium that there are claws underneath, that changes what his mutation is, right? A, the claws are now part of the animalistic mutation that he had, and that means that all the flashbacks we've seen up to this point, you know, like as Cameron and I used to say when they talked about known claws, we would say, in adamantium. <laughs> or, you know, when we see old missions and stuff, he was just choosing not to use them, which is fine. I mean, it works. Um, that's why we never saw the bone claws on panel until he got his adamantium stripped. So, I think there's a current reading where this works, where you could say the evolution into a more animal, beast-like physical stature could be a secondary mutation, kind of like the beast does something similar in Grant Morrison's run when that concept is introduced. But the idea that adamantium kept him from his true mutation, I think is a little harder to deal with just because we've already added quite a bit of foretime to Wolverine's background. Now, we haven't had origin yet, so we haven't said for sure that he popped his claws when he was a kid slash teenager. But based on X-Men Origins to this point, that would have to, once we know that he has bone claws, that would have to insinuate to some degree, even before we knew the story of Origin or when and where it took place, that there had to have been a time in his young adult life at the latest where he popped his claws and discovered his power. And then, of course, Weapon X made him forget about it. Right, so that's not necessarily problematic. That fits in the story. What well, I guess I'm trying to get to <laughs> in a very long-winded, winding road kind of way is that if Logan had a normal kind of progression of his mutation where, you know, his mutation kicked in as a teenager, even late into his young adulthood, he would have had his mutation started and evolving for several years before he got to Weapon X. So, the idea that adamantium stopped the progression of his mutation is its almost like, well, wouldn't that have already at least started somewhat before Weapon X? Now, you can argue. <laughs> and may, maybe I'm going to talk myself back out of this. I mean, not in the features of like, you know, hunching over or, um, you know, the fingernails necessarily. But Barry Windsor Smith in the Weapon X story, he, he drew a little bit more feral hair. I think that was just a style choice. But, you know, that can kind of be some headcanon. Maybe he was starting down that more feral path if you look at uh, BWS art in the Marvel Comics Presents Weapon X story that his hair was becoming more wild and animal-like. So maybe, maybe the anime really did push the pause button 
you know, if not, then we would just say that it was a secondary mutation. I think the only other thing that is maybe a little weird, but it's kind of classic with like um, your basic time travel stories. In fact, uh, John Wilson on his Superman in Crisis podcast just talked about one uh, with the. Uh, the Pappy, the, the Popeye knockoff that was in, in, in a Superman comic right around the time of Crisis on Infinite Earths. And it involves a fountain of youth. And there's there's a scene where the fountain is polluted. And and we see this in other fiction as well, movies and stuff, where they lost the source of the use of the guy that has stayed young forever and ever. All the age rushes in and catches up to him right away, like in the snap of a finger. You know, it goes from young, strapping young man, you know, in the prime of his 20s or 30s to being like an old Grandpa Simpson, <laughs> like on the spot. Now, I haven't seen those, those that comic. I'm just referring to uh, John's coverage. Uh, again, go listen to Crisis, the Superman in Crisis. Um... Yeah, so I think what we're going to kind of see is that same, it's not that instantaneous, but that same kind of thing that if the adamantium slowed down or stopped his evolution into a more bestial state, he's going to revert to that state pretty quickly. We already, we're already starting to see it. We're already seeing the hairs a lot longer and wilder, the fingernails, the, the face moving into a slightly more um, animalistic set up of features. Um, so, it's going to happen pretty quickly. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot to kind of chew on and think about there. There's a lot to kind of have fun and play with, you know, with, with what we know now, uh, what hindsight will be. I think either way in this story, the idea is, is definitely that whatever the adamantium did to his blood, his mutation, the lack of it now is causing some distinct mental and biological changes in Wolverine. It's going to be fun to kind of follow along and see exactly how that works, which for me, for the first time. So, cool, cool. All right, well, I'm going to give Wolverine number 81 five out of six claws. Um, Looking back through it now in the the coverage, the, the colors really aren't very good in this issue, but the rest of it is pretty great. So, uh, five out of six claws, and that's going to do it for our Wolverine coverage, mostly. Um, actually, you know, I'm going to kind of barely cover X-Force number 35, Who's Afraid of Nimrod? And this is a Beg Tomorrow, uh, written by Fabian Isieza, pencils by Tony Daniel, um, a whole bunch of eakers. Holdridge, Candelario, Conrad, Green, appreciate as Dan Green, Champagne, and Rubenstein. Chris Eliopoulos does the letters. Um, Marshall, Lopez, and Thomas do colors. So just an army of people on this book. Uh, Harrison DeFalco, um, the editors as well. Our cover by Tony Daniels pretty great. It's just kind of a, a recently exploded battlefield. And in the shadow below the X-Force logo, lurking towards the reader, is a shadowed red robot. Um, we know because of the name on the cover is Nimrod, and you find out pretty quickly in the story is Nimrod. It looks actually more like the Crimson Dynamo than anything else on the cover. But anyway, it featured in front of him. And what I consider a very classic uh, cable pose is cable kneeling one knee down, one knee up, 
and then both of his fists into the ground, and he's hunched over looking at the reader. It's a pretty great cover, I think. Um, so I'm not really going to go into this story a whole lot. Basically, Shatterstar and Domino are on a mission to try to recover, figure out what's going on with the Sentinel program that was discovered during um, Fatal Attractions by the X-Factor team. And so... They're doing that, they're detected, they argue with the scientists, and we find out that Nimrod is back online. There's some arguing over the ethics of that. And then Cable and Forge meet for lunch uh, and talk about this chip that Cable, that Forge has. And they kind of argue over it. Um, let's see, what did I actually say here? Um, I forgot to take notes on this one, sorry. But basically, Cable says this is technology in this ship that should not be here yet. It's at least 25 years away, Forge agrees. And they talk about how scary that is. And, you know, talk about the Tomorrow Agenda and the Sentinels and how it's just a bad situation. Um, Banshee and Siren continue their kind of reconciliation. We see some Guthrie family drama. Um, Cable reconnects with Shatterstar and Warpath and Siren with Domino and talks about Nimrod. And that's where we see kind of holophiles in Nimrod's past, which is our barely their Wolverine appearance. Um, we see, you know, Nimrod blasting the X-Men. It's weird, they do like a color washer. Everything's like an orange and blue. So it's really kind of hard to tell. In fact, I had to zoom in to really see that it was actually Wolverine in that picture. But that's our Wolverine appearance. Um, so of course, X-Force Society, you know, they can't abide by this. And they're going to break back into the base and see what's going on. And that's where they discover Nimrod has been awakened and to be continued. Uh, there's some other definite plot points to the whole subplots of X-Force going on there. I know the details were a little sketchy, but I mean, we have Wolverine barely visible and barely one panel. <laughs> but I didn't want to talk about it for just a second. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it, though. Um, I mean, Tony Daniel is not to, like, the superstar level artist he would be yet. There's definitely glimpses of it. Um, yeah, I would give I would give X-Force number 35 four out of six claws. It was still pretty fun, pretty enjoyable. Pretty wordy. Uh, Fabian had a lot of explanation and dialogue in this issue, but um, not too bad. Not too bad. Alright, now, for Grant and maybe a couple others, we're going to do some Gambus Gumbo Ketchup. Mmm. Uh, <laughs> and that's probably not the right sound. Yeah, not trying to give it a sound effect. It didn't work. Uh, we're going to catch up with X-Men number 31 and 32. So, with that in mind, number 31 is... Soul Possessions, The Butterfly and the Hawk, Part 1. Uh, Fabian Nicieza, Andy Kubert does the pencils, Matt Ryan the inks, uh, Laverne and Digital Chameleon do the colors, Bill Oakley does the letter, Harrison DeFalco are the ex-editors. Um, our cover is by Kubert and Matthew Ryan, and this promises to reveal the truth about Psylocke. So on our first cover here for 31, we have a green smoky background with a nice orange logo, which is really cool. Um, the X-Men logo it says Revelations across the bottom. We have Psylocke and Revanche front and center facing each other. And then behind them in shadow is Spiral. 
Alright, so in this one, uh, won't spend too much. The, the plot itself, well, anyway. So in the first revanch, Kanan, no, what did the guy say? Kanon, I thought you were to say that. A story is complex and complicated character reconciliation. And it's sometimes hard to follow, but her final act, for the time and for a long time, is incredibly tragic and hits like an emotional punch to the gut. I choked up. Um, honestly, as much as Fabian and Andy Kiebert make you invest in this character in so brief a space, it's really kind of shocking to me that it took so long to revisit the character. That's kind of my overall thoughts. Um, as far as the plot beats... And that said, there are a few plot beats. Um, Revanche removes her mojo bionic eyes and leaves them for Psylocke. We find out that uh, Matsuo and Kanon were star-crossed lovers from rival assassin organizations, The Hand and Lord Nyren. I don't know if I'm saying Lord Nyren right, but I'm doing my best. Um, Fate cast them in a duel to the death until Kanon fell off a cliff, battering her body. Lord Nyron, who also loved Kanon, gave her body to Matsuo in the hand to save her. He, he knew he could not, knew that Matsuo would try out of his love for her and that the hand had the capability. So he allows them to take the body. Uh, when Psylocke's equally battered body washed up on the shore from the Siege Perilous, Matsuo saw an opportunity with Spiral to mend Kanon's mind. But Spiral, despite all love, because she is loveless, <laughs> maybe the weird part of the story, um, you know, pulling the Freaky Friday maneuver, betraying everyone, Matsuo, Lord Nyren, Psylocke, uh, Kanon, everyone gets betrayed. Uh, Matsuo decided that he wanted his lover's body, so he tried to make Psylocke more like Kanon. Um, really interesting that he chose the body over the soul. Um, Matsuo becomes a tragic character in this story. That's definitely a flaw to some degree in his decision-making because, you know, if you believe in a soul and you believe in a spirit and essence and whatever, that's really the person, not the physical makeup. Obviously, the whole package is what you want. But if, you had to choose, if I had to choose between having the identity of my lover or having the body of my lover, I would choose the identity. But he is caught up in the hot bod of Canone, and so instead, since it can't go the way he wants, his consolation prize is, well, he'll just try to make Psylocke more like his ex-lover in spirit, since, and he'll get the body he wants and then get an approximation of the, of the spirit that he wants. Um, it's, it's an interesting, complex kind of story point. Uh, I don't know, you know, not what I would have done, <laughs> but, you know, he made his decision and... and tries to make the best of it. Um, Alright, so now, dying from the legacy virus, Revanche confronts Matsuo and offers him redemption. Save her from the virus by killing her. He does. Alright, so behind all this, um, Beast takes over in the X-Mansion and Blue Team leadership as Xavier steps away a little bit. Um, we need to read Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. <laughs> um, Angel and Psylocke grow closer, and we get a tease for Generation X, and then Gambit thinks he feels some Belladonna and Rogue 
after his miniseries. And that's that's our Gambit Gumbo. This is really more of a Psylocke issue. But, you know, we have a little bit of that kind of dangling thread of something's not quite right with Rune. I don't think he knows that she touched Belladonna, but he is noticing some similarities between the two that make him uncomfortable. So, you know what? I was thinking about the story, and there's a lot of opportunities for pitfalls in this kind of retcon. But I, in my personal humble opinion, Fabian avoids them all and sticks the landing. Um, the digital colors took away a little bit, but they're still pretty great. I mean, they're better than the, the Wolverine colors we had last issue. So, overall, I think this issue is great. I like it a lot. Um, I'm sad that Revanche is gone, because like I said, in a very short amount of time, Fabian and Andy Kubert, in my estimation, excuse me, in my esteem, make you very invested in this character. Like, extremely. And so, to see her tragic death, it is. Uh, tragedy is the word. And I was very sad and emotional during those scenes, reading this again, which I've not read these issues in a I have read these. I did stick with X-Men a little bit longer than Wolverine back in the day. Um, but I haven't read them in a long time. I think I read, the last time I read them again was when I did a whole X-Men read-through before I started the podcast, probably about 15 years ago. Um, I read everything from giant size forward to catch up. Um, no, that's not true. That's not true. I started somewhere in the 70s, but I didn't have reprints, and of course digital copies at that point were not that prevalent. It took me a while to track down a good reprint of Giant Size. Anyway, that, you know, I don't care about that. But pre-podcast, I did a pretty extensive just X-Men read-through, um, but not Wolverine. So, so that's why some of those issues are new to me now. Um, either way... This is a great, emotionally powerful issue with great art. And I'm going to give it four out of four aces, hands down. So let's move on then to X-Men number 32. I don't remember if anything changes in this one or not. Um, the Soul Possessions Part 2. The Leopards and the Cats. Um... Kevin Summers is added as a colorist. Other than that, it's pretty much the same. Um, on our cover, we have Psylocke. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah Psylocke and Spiral uh, fighting each other in a massive sword fight in a red background with some blood splattering around. It's an awesome cover. It's really great. Um, all right. So Spiral attacks Psylocke and Angel, spinning riddles as she spins her blades. The X-Men join in, and Gambit gets the final drop on Spiral, right before she teleports away with one last clue about Psylocke's eyes. Psylocke reveals the mojo eyes from her Canone's body. Uh, Beast and Banshee are able to access the recordings, revealing all to Psylocke and her teammates and family. So she decides, you know, she says, hey, I, I had these eyes from Mojo World that Mojo gave me. I just kind of assumed they weren't Working, but I, yeah, I, in theory, back is purple-haired British woman, Psylocke. I knew that Mojo could be spying on us, and I never really said anything. But 
I want to watch these recordings together, no more secrets, whatever these eyes contain from the other body as revanche. Um, I want you all to see it with me, both as support and both in the effort of transparency. Um, so they knew they watched, they watched the videos from the eyes. Um, so then after that, they kind of get a little bit of revanche's story. After that, Psylocke heads to Japan. Gambit now forced to smoke outside with Beast in charge. <laughs> so, and one of the first things Beast does, and he tells Xavier this, and Xavier's like, haha, but he actually does it, is there's no, no more smoking inside the mansion. Um, so Gambit now has to smoke outside. Um, so anyway, Gambit uh, offers to go with her, but she must finish this alone. Um, after she leaves, Gambit opens up to Xavier about his concern over Rogue following the story in his miniseries. Um, so some more there, just kind of more breadcrumbs and that, that something's not quite right with Rogue and Gambit is really uncomfortable with it. Um, in Japan, Psylocke finds Lord Nairin dead and Matsuo the murderer. Matsuo reveals that with her dying breath, Kanan left him a telepathic residue. He kisses Psylocke, transferring the psychic power which gives Betsy back her essence and removing what was left of Kanon from Betsy. So now, you know, what Spiral did with the Freaky Friday, it wasn't really, it was kind of mix and match, right? That's why Matsumo felt like maybe he could, if he had Kanon's body and a little bit of herself, he could twist and mold the Betsy part to get his lover back. And what this does, when Revanche died, she left a psychic imprint with Matsuo, I guess knowing that Psylocke would come, but basically allows for the, the part of Betsy that she had to rejoin with the rest of Betsy's self in Kanon's body. And then Kanon's spirit could be whole and at peace in the afterlife. It's a pretty interesting little thing. Again, there's a lot of a lot of opportunities for Fabian to fall flat on his face in a pretty complex retcon, but I think he handles it really well, really deftly. Um so anyway, Matsuo kisses uh Betsy and gives her back her essence and kisses Psylocke, giving back her full Betsy essence. And as Canon's essence dissipates in a purple mist, Betsy is left in Kanon's body, because the Betsy body died physically from the legacy virus, but she is now whole in person. Uh, Matsuo now having lost the rest of Kanon's soul, tries to kill himself. He tries to fall on his sword, but Psylocke um, talks him out of it. It's better to honor Kanon's life than her death, she argues, and Matsuo reluctantly agrees. Uh, Psylocke returns home, and she and Angel connect even deeper. You know, I don't remember, in my memory from many, many years ago, how much of Matsuo's redemptive arc we get to see, but he's set up here, at the end of this issue, to be a really strong character that could... If not be a straight-up hero, at least be a little more on the side of the Angels, a little more cooperative with the X-Men. Um, so we'll have to see how much of that kind of 
kind of comes out in, in the next issues, if at all. I really don't remember, but I'm definitely interested to see it. Uh, this issue leaves our characters in a really good place. Um, the art, again, is great. The story is great. Again, I, kudos to Fabian for both of these issues. We're taking kind of a weird character situation, not only making it make sense, but putting things kind of back where he wants them in a way that moves the characters forward in a really interesting way, in a really compelling way. I, I love both of these issues a lot. Um, I like where the characters end up. I like kind of the journey to get there. It's rife with being convoluted, but it doesn't feel convoluted. I, I know if you wipe Parson all out, it probably kind of is. But it, I don't know, it, just, it feels right. It feels good. So I'm going to give X-Men 32 also 4 out of 4 aces. And that catches us up with Gambit. I mean, really, really most of what he does, well, first of all, He's kind of gross as 90s Gambit, or at least early 90s Gambit is. And he talks about how hot Spiral is. <laughs> and he's just kind of like, the, the guy cannot help but window shop. His heart allegedly belongs to Rogue, but his eyes are all over the place. And he definitely is horny. Uh, he's super horny. Um, but yeah, uh, but the main, other than that, <laughs> which is a, you know, <laughs> I think in modern incarnations, he stays sexy. He's just a little less misogynistic in his comments, which is good. That We've seen that progression and evolution. And we'll say from the character, but at least from the writers, right? But anyway, other than that, him just kind of being an, an, an ass at times. I mean, the main thing we see is we have two kind of Inuits into seeing him just being worried about Rogue, and we know that we'll have some story coming up with that pretty soon. And so, just kind of watching that subplot develop is really mostly what Gambit does in the background is a very compelling Psylocke story that was really, really awesome. So, there you go. So, that catches us up with Wolverine, that catches us up with Gambit, and that is going to do it for this episode. So, uh, as far as when are we next, we'll continue our 10 Lives and Wolverine coverage. And then flashback, um, obviously keep going through the Wolverine solo series, but really what, really everything kind of right now is going to be getting ready for the Phalanx Covenant, or Phalanx Covenant, however you decide to pronounce that. And that's kind of the next big X event, and it's going to kind of interrupt the Wolverine series, because it'll have an issue that crosses over. And so we're going to kind of focus on getting all the books lined up for that event. So that'll be the next few flashback episodes, then we'll get to get to that event proper. Um, I don't know what I'll do for that one. I may try to kind of do what we did on Fatal Attractions and get kind of a, a big crew, or I don't know. We'll kind of see what happens and what, what availability is at the time when I get there. Probably be, I mean, the pace I'm going right now, Probably a couple of months down the road um, before we actually get there. But, you know, if you just can't wait, the X Reads podcast is, I don't know if they just finished or they're almost done covering. They did a few episodes on it. And I've not listened to them yet. I kind of have a rule where I don't listen to anything I'm going to talk about till after I talk about it. Because I would never, ever, now this is just podcast talk here, I would never, ever intentionally steal anyone's bit 
or jokes or unique thoughts about stories. But I don't, whenever I can help it, I don't even want to put me in the position of subconsciously, like, forgetting where I heard something and presenting it as my own thought when, you know, three months ago it was talked about in a different podcast or whatever. So, in an effort to be transparent and honest, I wait to listen to those so that everyone can know, and most importantly, that I myself can know <laughs> That any similarities at that point in the coverage are just, um, you know, circumstantial, just coincidence. So, so yeah, so I do really enjoy the X Reads podcast and look forward to hearing that coverage of that event at a later date after I have put my own episodes out on it. But you, as readers and listeners of podcasts, man, the more the merrier. Listen to it all, go listen to theirs. Then, you know, stew on it a little bit. When I get to my coverage, come back here and listen to it again. I don't think, I think that's the best way to go, in my personal opinion. But um, I know also everyone has their own podcast time they can devote to things. You know, there's only so much listening in the day. So that said, if you're listening to this and you're still listening now, as I'm starting to get to the end in Ramble, um, I appreciate you choosing the podcast that goes next as one of the things you listen to. Um, it means a lot to me. Uh, the people I've been able to interact with over the last several years is we're coming up on 10 years, baby. That's nuts. Um, yeah, as we continue our march to 500, that's that's absolutely crazy. But um, yeah, just really, really enjoy and really grateful for those of you that continually listen, especially those of you that interact with feedback, either on Twitter or Facebook, but even if you don't. Even if you just listen, I still love you. And just thanks for thanks for taking the time and choosing me out of a plethora of not only podcasts, and not only comic book podcasts, but there is a glut of really great X-Men podcasts. There's so many out there, and most of them are really good. Um, I always say that because there's some I haven't got to listen to yet. I plan to. Um, but the ones I've listened to, they're, I mean, they're all, for the most part, really great. So... Uh, yeah, I know you have a lot of options. And not just podcasting, and not just comic book podcasting, but specifically X-Men podcasting. It's a buffet. And I, I thank you for at least occasionally taking a bite out of me. <laughs> and on that weird note, uh, please everyone stay safe and stay well. And we will talk again soon. So until next time, hugs and snacks. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Um... You can like the Facebook page, the podcast that goes Snick Facebook page. Twitter is at Snickcast. Show notes are at snickcast.podbean.com. And now I bid you adieu. So until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye bye. And snacked. <laughs>